You're listening to the Corporate Quitter Podcast, where it's all about exploring possibilities for making an honest living outside of the traditional nine to five. Hi, everyone, and welcome to the 12th episode of the Corporate Quitter Podcast. Today's guest is Wayne Mullins. He's the founder and CEO of Ugly Mug Marketing, a Louisiana-based agency with a focus on having, quote-unquote, ugly design that delivers results instead of a beautiful design that does not. So he's also a husband, father, author, and thought leader who's helped multiple entrepreneurs scale companies and is one praise of some of the leading influencers in the world, like Neil Patel, who's the founder of Quick Spout and Kissmetrics, and Ari Weinswig co-founder of Zingerman. So Wayne, I am beyond ecstatic that you're on here to share like all of your nuggets of gold and your stories for my listeners. Thank you so much, Gabby. I'm looking forward to our conversation today. Thanks. So can you just give the listeners a background of kind of how Ugly Mug Marketing came about? Like, you know, we started from college and got you to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. So the the sexy story would be something like, you know, I started Ugly Mug Marketing and two years later, we're, you know, this famous company with all these great clients. But uh, as we know, those those only make for good headlines. They're often not reality. Uh, so for me, this journey actually began probably 20 years ago. And my journey began whenever I decided to go into sales. So that was my first kind of foray into, quote unquote, the real world. That was my first profession post-college. And selling taught me a lot. It taught me a lot about you know business. It taught me a lot about psychology. It taught me a lot about myself. And we can dive into as much detail as you want of how that you know progression took place, kind of how my journey unraveled and unfolded. But you know, it, it definitely wasn't a straight path to get to where I'm at today. There's a lot, I think, when we look at other people, when we look at their lives and what they've accomplished, there's so much that we don't see. There's so much, there's yeah. so much dirt, there's so much baggage, there's so many heartaches, there's so all this other stuff that's often there. And when we look around, it, it's so deceptive sometimes for us to look around at other people and compare and look and say, oh, well, if I could only do what they're doing, if I could only have a marketing agency that was successful, that would be success. Um, but what we don't see is it's kind of like the Instagram world, I guess, where yeah. we don't see all the clutter on the floor. We don't see the reality of what's taking place on the other side of the camera. So yeah, that my, my journey is not a straight path and it, it hasn't always been a pleasant path or a fun path, <laughs> but it's uniquely mine, I guess. Yeah. I really like how you phrased it like that. It's not a straight path because again, like I don't want to say it's deception, but right. A lot of younger people, myself included, I was under the impression that I picked a career and I was stuck with that for like literally the rest of my life till I retired. And more and more, as I have conversations with people on this podcast or in life, am I finding that those ups and downs are what make you prepared for the amazing career or the amazing business or whatever it is that you're having in your future that you don't even see at this point, like it's coming. And these are the things that are preparing you. So in this case, it was like, you know, the sales part of your journey, like, from being a salesperson, did you think that that was going to be the career that brought you, quote unquote, the success, like all of those Instagram worthy things that made you feel successful? Or like, what was the point of getting into sales for you? Was it just because it was there or was there a distinct reason why? Yeah. So the, the reason I went into sales was my junior year of college, for whatever reason, my parents gave me some CDs. Yes, I'm that old. Some CDs <laughs> <laughs> from this gentleman of the name Zig Ziglar. And Zig Ziglar, was at one point probably the most well-known motivational and sales trainer in the world. 
reportedly back in the 90s, his speaking fee for a 45-minute keynote was $100,000. Wow. Damn. I didn't know that. I mean, my dad listened to him when I was a kid, so I like got snippets of it, but like, damn, that's a lot of money. (laughs) Yeah. And so for whatever reason, they gave me those CDs and it, it was because of listening to those CDs that you know I really didn't learn anything about selling other than Zig Ziglar sold me on the profession of selling, right? Mm-hmm. So from that point forward, I knew that I wanted to go in sales. And you know what's so funny is that you know when we look back at our lives, those things make sense, right? It makes sense that not that they gave me the CDs, but it makes sense like my path went from sales, which led into the next thing, which led into the next thing. In that moment, like it makes no sense whatsoever. Like you make a career oh, yeah. <laughs> decision, a life decision off some CDs you listen to, right? Yeah. And so I love the analogy of it's used a lot, but the uh, windshield versus the rearview mirror. When we're in those moments, we're looking through the windshield, but the windshield is often full of dirt, it's full of grime, it's full of you know, road stuff. Um, we're moving forward at what appears to be a fast pace. And it's tough to make decisions or it's tough to really understand where those decisions are going to lead us. It's only when we look back in the rearview mirror that, you know, the rearview mirror is always clean and everything behind is is clear. It's only then that we see it. You have the best analogies. This is like the third analogy that you've, you've taught me since beating you. And like, it's helped tremendously. I, that's such a piece of gold to take going forward. Cause yeah, you're right. Every time you look forward, it's like scary and crazy and whatever. But then when you look back and you're like, oh my God, remember five years ago, this is the person you wanted to be in. You're here now, right? You might not have it all figured out, but you at least got part of the way to where you're headed. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think what you just said, Gabby, is so important to, to really understand is that, you know, we think that someday we're going to have it all figured out, right? Mm-hmm. Someday in the future, it's going to be easier to make these decisions. And at least from my experience, the decisions don't ever necessarily get easier. It's just we have more context, we have more experience that helps us navigate those decisions. So it's not that the decisions are easier, it's we have a different context or different lens through which we make those decisions. Yeah. I recently heard a phrase by this woman named Kathy Heller. She likes to say like new level, new devil. So it's kind of like every time you up level or like get to that new chapter in your life, there's going to be a challenge because you're gaining momentum, right? Something is going to be there to really push you and say like, how badly do you want it? Or like, can you live up to what you've created for yourself? So completely agree with what you say. It's It actually becomes more fun when you anticipate that that friction is going to be there because then you know it's there. You don't know how it's going to come up, but it's going to come up in some way or form. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, there's a quote by um, Scott Peck, I believe, who said it. He wrote the book. I think it's The Road Less Traveled. I may be off on the book title, but he begins the book and he basically has this paragraph or the sentence in there that basically says, life is difficult. The sooner we embrace that fact, the quicker life gets easier for us. Wow. And so I, I try to constantly remind myself of that, that, you know, you never quote unquote arrive that the further quote unquote up you go, the different type of challenges you face, the quote unquote better problems that you're going to face. And so, you know, I think that we, we can put ourselves into, you know, we can, we can really drive ourselves to a point of depression, to anxiety. When we believe that at some point, things are going to be easier, things are going to be better, things are going to be different because that point never truly arrives. Mm-hmm. Does that make sense? Yeah. I love the way that you phrase that. That kind of also falls into 
One thing I've noticed as I got older is my definition of success changes. And when my definition of success changes, everything around me changes, right? The way that I approach things and, and all of that. So all of that are really great things to take into consideration and like really process as you, you know, again, go to these different levels and and different chapters and achieve great things. But I want to go back to decision-making for a second. So I know you started off in sales. So what was the decision or like, you know, what was the pivoting moment and that challenging decision, like you had said, right? Different level, new challenges, new decisions to make. What was the decision for you to pivot from sales to, I think you had said you started your own business at that point. Yeah, that's correct. So, you know, when I first started sales, uh, because of the motivation of Zig Ziglar, <laughs> I just, I believed that I was going to be successful right off the bat, right? I'd studied it. I'd listened to it. I thought I was prepared. And to be honest with you, Gabby, I was terrible. I was absolutely <laughs> horrible at selling. But one of the one of the things that I have in that situation that was going for me is I'm very stubborn. So if I set my mind out to do something, I'm going to keep pushing forward, I'm going to keep doing it. And so I eventually became good at sales. And over the course of it, it was a three-year period, I got good and I started noticing the amount of revenue that I was generating for the company versus what my paycheck was. Oh right? yeah, and so, that fun thing. <laughs> it's, it's a very dangerous place to be. And it was out of that, out of kind of looking at those two things that I said, huh, I wonder what would happen if I actually went out and sold something for myself, sold something on my own. And so that's when, you know, I sat down and said, okay, what skills do I actually have? I can sell, but what of my own can I actually sell? And it was a very short list. That <laughs> list included cutting grass. So a lawn business was the decision that I made and it was the decision to um, start that business. Wow. That's so awesome. It's it's pretty interesting how like it's such an extreme difference, right? You kind of go from like this office setting to like working on grounds. Like again, it's still a business, but it's completely different, you know, playing field. But um, let me ask you, what are some of the skills that you acquired while being a salesperson that translated to being an excellent business person in that business? So I know obviously the the idea of selling is really important, but right, you touched on in the beginning, like there was a lot of psychology involved, like you had to learn a lot more about yourself. So, like, what were those pieces that made you successful in that business? Yeah, I would say the first thing that comes to mind is just simply this, that no one wants to be sold anything, right? You know, if you go to sales training, they teach you that no one wants to be sold anything, but people love to purchase, they love to buy. Mm -hmm. And so when I approached the lawn care business, you know, lawn care is typically something that is a decision people don't want to really think about, right? It's not something they wake up excited about, oh, I get to choose who's going to come cut my yard or maintain my my hedges or whatever today. And so going into that business, I went into it thinking, what could we do to stand out from the crowded marketplace? What could we do to differentiate ourselves so that it makes the decision easier for our customers? So that was the one thing. And, and I learned that the sales that I was in was advertising sales. And no one, all the business owners, all the entrepreneurs, they didn't want to see you coming, right? When they saw you coming, they would go hide. They would tell their <laughs> assistant or whoever to tell them, I'm not available, take a message, whatever. And so the way that you made it to the decision maker became very important and it became very strategic part. And I carried that over into the lawn business as well. Do you face any challenges You know, with... Again, I know you said people maybe don't want to be sold to, but again, getting through from a communication perspective, like I know now I'm not so shy about selling because it's part of my business. Then there's like an exchange of value, right? But there's still, you know, for people specifically, like 
who feel really shy or they haven't found their voice yet, like, do you have any suggestions on like how people can be a better salesperson or grow to like get to a place where they'd be even comfortable voicing something to that effect of selling? Yeah, absolutely. The The place that I would say start is your comfort zone. So you've got to push yourself beyond that. And so for me, selling really forced me out of my comfort zone because you know, I'm high introvert. I love being by myself. I don't like being around a lot of people. Um, you know, very timid. I, I just, I'm not a very loud, boisterous type of person. And so for me, it was, I had to, to succeed on my job, literally go door to door, knocking on doors and going in and asking about their advertising. Um, and so what I would say is that is what you have to do. You have to get comfortable being uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. And as unpleasant as it sounds, that is the path to growth. Yeah. You know, you think about if you were to go hire a personal trainer, right? A personal trainer, what they're going to do is they're going to force you. They're going to push you to do the things you don't want to do. They're going to make sure that you're doing the burpees the right way, that yeah. you're doing the squats the right way, whatever the thing is. But they're also going to push you beyond your comfort level, right? So if you can do... 10 burpees today, they're going to push you to do 12 tomorrow. Then they're going to, you get it. So it's like this progression. And I think that that skill in and of itself, like learning to identify your level of comfort, your threshold for comfort, and then learning to go slightly beyond that every single day. So if you, if you can do, you know, if you can make one call today, cold call today, make two tomorrow make three the next day, right? So it's it's not like you go from zero to a hundred. It's all about micro progression. Did you have like a goal sheet that you had made when you were in sales? Like how, right? Because three years is a long period, but for someone who maybe just started a business or they're thinking about starting a business and they're trying to like really hit the ground running and like make, I don't want to say major progress in a year, right? Because things take time, but like what is some telltale ways or like sure ways I should say of like, again, stepping outside that comfort zone? Like, what does that look like? Is it setting goals? And again, like hitting the phones, is it it like reading certain books or like stretching your mindset to something that you find that's a little out there, but like some people swear by it. Like what are some things that either you did or people listening can do to do that? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, So one of the things that I think that I've had to learn, and I still have to learn kind of the hard way is that you know, sometimes I think I'm a smart guy. I think that I can learn a trick or a hack that will make the hard work unnecessary. Mm-hmm. Right. So, like, if you can learn, you know, a certain sales tactic or a certain closing technique, maybe you don't have to knock on as many doors tomorrow. And what I've discovered over the years is there's really no hack or no trick that replaces hard work, that replaces doing the little bit extra each and every day. What I would say to somebody starting out is instead of setting a specific goal, I'm all for having goals. I'm all for setting like, you know, make X number of calls, all these things. The first thing I would do is I would decide not the revenue that you want to produce, but decide the type of salesperson you want to be known for. Oh, that's so great. And that you want to become, right? Find that ideal person. And then where you start beyond that is you look, what are their attributes? What are the attributes of that ideal person, of that great person? And list out those attributes and then simply begin living into those things, right? If those things feel unnatural, if those things feel like you're not being quote unquote true to yourself, that's a good thing, right? You should feel that. There should be some tension there because you're leaning into becoming someone that you're not today. Mm -hmm. You're becoming 
the better version of yourself. Yeah. That's a great, a great way for people to get started. I really like that you said that though, like identifying some or finding someone who you're either looking up to or like a mentor, role model, whoever it is. And just like taking one piece at a time when you review their attributes and maybe like doing the work to, you know, either have the same ones or similar. I think that that's really great. But so now going back to your story. So again, you were, you were doing the lawn business. What, what ended up happening after that? Cause clearly I can see like, there's a pattern, right? You were in sales, like advertising, and then you did your own business. And now here you are like at ugly mug marketing, like, which doesn't necessarily touch on advertising, but like it does. Cause it's still like in the marketing pool and like, you know, sales obviously is in the marketing pool and having your own business, like it's all leading up to it. So what was the, like, maybe another decision or another like chapter that you had to go through or, or learn from to then get to the place of where you are now? Yeah, absolutely. So the, the lawn business, um, you know, started that from scratch, from zero. And over the course of a three-year period, I grew that business to a fairly large company. Um, we were probably one of the one or two, maybe the third largest in our region. And as a result of that rapid growth over that three-year period, we started having, or I started having actual customers of the lawn business come to me and say, hey, Wayne, what are y'all doing to grow so rapidly? What are y'all, you know, how are you doing this? Mm -hmm. And it was out of what were initially just some casual conversations, me kind of sharing what we were doing to grow and to scale, that it eventually turned into ugly mug marketing. So the lawn business, I, I had that business for three years and sold the business. And whenever I put the business up for sale, I didn't know at the time what was next. Like I had no clue. Sounds really stupid, but like, how does you, how do you even sell a business? Like, it's not like you go on Facebook and you're like, Hey, I'm selling a couch. Like, what does that even look like? Just for people who are listening for out of curiosity, you don't have to give the details, but just like, is it like a Facebook post, like LinkedIn? What's the. Yeah. Yeah. Great. Great question, Gabby. Uh, so I had no clue how to sell a business. I just knew that I'd, I'd taken the business to the level where it was A, sellable, mm -hmm. but B, where I was no longer interested. I'd taken as far as I could possibly take that business. The only other option at that point were, would be to start expanding into other cities, which would be 100 plus miles away, which would include different crews. So I actually reached out. I found a business broker. So it's a firm kind of like a, a realtor would be. Oh. And they will list your business for you. Um, they keep everything confidential, um, and then, you know, they find you sellers and they get a cut when the business sells. And so that, that's how I did it. Wow. I didn't even know that was a thing. You, I just learned another thing new from you. I got so many things from you. Yeah, no. And, and what's interesting though, is like, I had no clue. I, I had no advice. Like I had no one giving me advice saying, you know, here's what to do. Here's who to call. Here's how to go about this process. I'm literally at that time, just stumbling through it on my own, right. Trying to figure it out. And in hindsight, there's so many things that I would do differently now. Like I know so much more about business now and the way to structure the deal and the way to run the business so that the business is more profitable so that you know there's a higher valuation, all these things. But again, our, our journeys, if we're willing to look back and reflect, they can teach us so much. And we can use those stories and those, those experiences as a lens right? To make the next decision, even when we don't know what the next decision even is at this point. Mm -hmm. Wow. So cool. I, again, had no idea that existed, but I think it's going to be really helpful for some listeners who are just like curious about the business process, but okay. So sold this amazing business and then, you know, moved into ugly mug marketing, like pretty much full-time, right? Yep. That's it. Um, so moved into ugly mug marketing, uh, that would be, you know, we're 12 and a half years now. 
Wow. Been in the business. Wow. And congrats. That's a good, that's a great achievement. Thank you. It again, you know, to pull back the curtain and to share kind of the the true story, so to speak. If you if you think your listeners would be interested in that, I'm happy to share that. Yeah, definitely. I actually the next question I was gonna ask you was like it's obviously like really cool that you did all this, but I'm sure it's not all like butterflies and daisies and rainbows and unicorns. Like I'm sure like, cause you're a husband, you're a father, like, you know, you have like your actual physical baby. And then you also have like your baby, which is the business. So like it's been like with work-life balance, like date night with your wife, if that's the thing, like all of that, I'm sure people, you know, are curious to know, like, what's it really like? Like not the fluff, like, you know, the real, the real stuff. Yeah, absolutely. So let me let me preface the the story with this: that um, there's a big difference in our lives between taking risk and being reckless, right? So that there's mm-hmm. a huge difference between those things, and oftentimes we believe that a decision is being reckless when in reality it's just a risk. Now, how like how I've learned to think about this? So at the time when I was making these decisions. Um, I understood kind of this idea around risk and, you know, it seemed like this massive risk at the time to, to make these decisions, to sell a company, to start a company, all these things. Um, but I've since learned this, this principle, this idea from Amazon, and they teach this thing called uh, a swinging door versus a one-way door. And so anytime they're looking at making a decision, they ask themselves, is this a swinging door? Meaning, if we make this decision, if we launch this product, if we do this thing, whatever this thing may be, is it easy for us to get back to where we were? In other words, yeah, we may lose some money. We may have a product that flops. We may have a service that flops. But can we get back in the room that we're in previously versus a one-way door? A one-way door is where you make a decision, you move forward, where you can't get back in the other room or getting back in the room would be virtually impossible. Can you give some examples of, like, I know when you say one way you are, I immediately think of like relationships, right? Once you like leave a relationship, like you're dating someone and you're like, it's not working out, you leave, it's almost virtually impossible to go back into that relationship because it's not going to be the same and like you've moved on. But with like so many things, I find when you said that, it's like a lot of things are revolving doors more so than we think they are. Jobs, I mean, so many things. So like, is there any specific examples that you can give of maybe both? Yeah, what I would say is this. I'll have to think of an example, but what I would say is this, that like you just said, Gabby, so often we believe that the decisions we're making are one-way doors. When in reality, most of the time they are swinging doors or revolving doors. So we can go back. So an example of that would be when I left selling. So I quit a corporate job to start a lawn care company. Could I have gone back to work for that exact company? Maybe, maybe not. But could I have gotten another job in sales? Absolutely. Right. So if they weren't hiring, I'm sure I could have found a sales job somewhere. So that for me was a swinging door. Right. But in in the moment when you're walking away from a guaranteed paycheck, when you're walking away from all the benefits, health insurance, all the things, it feels like an irreversible decision. It feels like, quote unquote, your life is on the line, right? Your future is on the line. And then the same thing with selling the lawn business. Um, So in that moment, it felt like this was a a life-altering decision. But could I have gone back and started another lawn business? Yes, I could have, right? It wasn't like I couldn't go back. Could I get the exact same company back? No, because I'd sold it. You know, I couldn't get that exact business back. But could I have gone back in the industry and done it again? Yes. Mm -hmm. Um, So an example of that, I mean, I think 
you know, when we, when we look at making career changes, career shifts in our lives, the majority of the time, I would, I mean, I don't know what it is, but (laughs) 99.9% of the time, those decisions are revolving doors, right? We may not be able to go back to the same company, but we can more than likely get back in that same industry, in that same career path. Um, The same thing with degrees and, you know, universities. So whatever you're majoring in, right? We, when we make those decisions, we think, oh, this is, this is my future, right? It's a serious decision. Life or death. Yeah, life or death. (laughs) Whatever I choose to do today is going to affect the rest of my life. You know, I think we've been sold kind of this, this lie almost that, those decisions, like what you major in college is like, yes, it, it does alter the future direction of your life, but it does not have to alter your future. So there's a difference there. So if you major in one thing, your initial direction is going to be in that direction, mm-hmm. but that doesn't mean you can't change it. I mean, I don't know about you, Gabby, but I know a lot of people who are in their forties and their fifties, and even some in their sixties who are going back to school who are changing their degree, right? I also saw an, an interesting study that actually some companies are not requiring a college education anymore, which is wild because back then it was like a standard thing. Like you had to get a bachelor's degree to even apply for a job. But now people are finding out like, you know, you have these people who aren't quote unquote qualified by a degree, but they're killing it in certain things like sales, marketing, social media, like all this stuff. Like, I mean, I don't know if I'd go to a surgeon who didn't go to medical school and get a degree, but like generally speaking with like, you know, general stuff, like you, you know, again, it's not a life or death situation. You could pivot whenever you want. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. There are some careers, like you just mentioned, doctors, attorneys, things like that, where the degree, you have to have the degree to do the thing. Yeah. But for us, for example, you know, there are 11 of us here full-time at our company. And I couldn't tell you, like, I know just from conversation, but we don't ask anything about like, where'd you go to school? What's your degree in? What was your GPA? All we care about is, you know, are you passionate about what you do? Are you going to show up every day and do your best? You know what I mean? So it's like, it's more of the um, soft skills versus what they teach in school that we're interested in. Yeah. Well, hard skills can also be learned, right? It's just not everyone has the drive or like the soft skills to like actually get the job done, which is, yeah, it's, it's wild how this, this, the whole world is changing. It's great, but it's, you know, that's so awesome that you, you know, come with that mentality and like, that's your approach versus the like, oh, you don't fit inside the box. And like, these are the, you know, the check marks, you don't get all them. So like, bye, like we're not interested. Like, that's not great. That doesn't, there's no diversity either in the workplace like that. No, absolutely. So going back to like, again, like challenges that you've had and like the decisions you're making and then, you know, having your business baby and then your baby baby, like what are some challenges you faced as a father, as a husband, as like, you know, dealing with this whole work-life balance as you've built this business? Absolutely. Yeah. I, I avoided the question. I changed direction oh, there and avoided sorry. the question. But Do you want no, to no, no. <laughs> no, it, no, it's good. Um, I, I got off track. So let me, let me tell you the beginning story. So I'd come off selling this business I thought I knew a lot about everything. I had an ego with me. I was carrying that with me from selling this business at a young age to starting this other company. And come to find out that over the course of the next three years, so from the time that this company, Ugly Mug Marketing, was was started, over that next three-year period, it was an immense struggle. Um, And I don't just mean the struggle as in like business was tough. It was tough to get clients. I mean, an immense struggle just to survive. So I had this successful business, the lawn business. 
as a result of that, I had a lot of the, you know, what people would call the quote unquote trappings of success. So, you know, my wife and I had a nice house. Um, We had actually just bought 50 acres of land, which we were going to build on at some point. Um, We had a boat, we had two nice, you know, new vehicles. And over the course of that three-year period of starting Ugly Mug Marketing, because of A, my ego, because of B, my just uh, stupidity, (laughs) (laughs) I... I ended up, we ended up having to sell everything. So wow. we sold the house, we sold the land, we sold the, both the cars, we sold the boat. And then we ended up in about fifty dollars to $60,000 of personal debt wow. just to, to survive, right? So in other words, just to pay our bills to continue living. And, you know, so, so coming through that, what that does is it creates... First of all, it, it quickly gets your ego in check, right? Oh, yeah. You, I mean, also like you're sweating bullets because how terrifying is that? <laughs> like, you know, flip, flip the switch like from one life to another. Yeah. I mean, and just to paint the, the picture a little bit more clearly. So at the time, um, my wife and I, we, when all this was, was taking place, we just had our third son. So we have three wow. boys and a girl. And we moved from, our house was, I think, a little over 2,000 square feet, the one we had to sell. We moved into a rental house that was just over 700 square feet. Wow. Oh, my God. Our newborn baby, the baby boy that was born when we, when we first moved in there, there was just no room. So his, his crib, his room was in the kitchen because there wow. was no other room. And again, I'm not saying like, oh, poor me. The lesson is this, I think, for so many people listening is that, again, the success that we see, the success that's portrayed, there's usually a lot of battle scars and a lot of bruises mm-hmm. that come along with that success. Yeah. And I'm not saying it has to be that way. Like in hindsight, there are clearly things I could have and should have done differently. Um, I should have had my ego in check. I should have <laughs> actually sold customers what they wanted instead of you know what I thought they needed. Um, just lots of lessons along the way. But what those things do you know, for example, for me coming through that period, that time frame, And again, I don't want to sound like, you know, three years of struggle and then magically things got better. No, it was three years of struggle, three years of just okay, three years of good. And now we're getting into the really good, right? Of this journey. Um, but in those three years of struggle, my mindset, I adopted a lot of beliefs that were very detrimental. Mm-hmm. Um, so a lot of scarcity, right? A lot of scarcity mindset crept into my life because of what what we were experiencing. Uh, you know, the, the toughest part's not the business decisions. The toughest part is knowing that the weight of your decision, so the weight of my decision was having a direct impact on my family. Yeah. Right? That's where, that's the real tough part about it. It wasn't making the business decisions and and, and all of that stuff. Yeah. I can only imagine like the stress and like, I mean, probably how many times ran through your head? Like, what did I do? Like, what, what did I get myself into? (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. But again, here's the thing. I think sometimes Gabby, we start down this path, right? And we begin down the path and and we have these expectations that, you know, are all fairy tales and and roses and everything's going to work out perfectly. And it doesn't. And I think if we're not careful, what happens is we give up on our dreams too quickly. And so any sane person, right? Any person that I'd gone to, if I'd gone to my parents for advice during those first six years, they would have said, this is stupid. Like go back to selling or start another lawn lawn business. Like you're torturing yourself. Why are you doing this? And I'm just using my parents as an example. 
But any quote unquote sane person who cares about you doesn't want to see you struggle. They don't want to see you, right? I've seen that a lot actually so far with my business. Like I'm still like super early. The podcast has been doing well, but like I just actually hired my first audio editor because I wanted to get back more time to like put into like my zone of genius, what's actually going to make money for my business versus like four hours of editing audio. But again, right, that comes at a cost, an upfront cost before I actually make money to supplement that. So I have friends who are like, oh my God, like I'm worried, I'm worried about you. Like family's like, oh my God, like you don't know what you're doing. And like at first I was on the defense, like, how dare you? Like, I know what I'm doing. I feel good about this. Like I, I know what I'm doing. And then the other part of me had like a moment of like, wait, 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 they're doing this because they actually love you and they care about you, not because they don't believe in you. It's because they they'd want to see you succeed, but they also don't want to see you fail. Yeah, no, it's so true. But I think we have to be careful about heeding that advice, right? I think it's Ray Dalio who said has a quote, something, I'm going to mess up the exact quote, but it's basically on the line, um, be careful who you bring your question to because every single person has an answer to your question. And so be very careful about who you bring your questions to. And there are, you know, I've learned this over the years, but there are three different types of people you should go to for advice. Ooh, I, um, I want to know. Tell me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So number one would be people who are smart in the area. So they have a lot of theories about the decision that you're making or the topic that you're that you're considering, right? The questions that you're considering. So these are subject matter experts, if you will. That's one type of person. The next type of person would be people who have casual observations. So in other words, they've been in the situation maybe where a business has been sold. So they were firsthand experience. They didn't sell a business, but they were there when it happened. They saw it happen. They were witness to it. Um, And then the third one are the people who have actually done the thing that you're trying to do. Um, And of those three, the one that matters the most is the last. Mm -hmm. So the people who have actually done what it is you're attempting to do those are the opinions you need to seek. Yeah. Um, and if we're not careful, though, we will go to the people we believe know us the best, care about us the most, and assume that their opinion, because of their experience with us, should trump the other advice and the other opinions that we get. And the reality is it's flipped the opposite way. It should be the exact opposite of that. It's funny you say that because a couple of weeks ago, I interviewed someone and he said that... Um, I don't want to say the problem with younger people, but like right when you're in your, you know, your, your teens or your, your early adulthood, like you go to the first person that comes into your, your life, which is your parents. Cause they're right there, right. For 20 years, they've been kind of dominating the way that you go about life. So you are naturally inclined to go to your parent or guardian or sibling for advice, even though they're not qualified or they haven't experienced any of those things. So if you can't go to those immediate people, how do you go about finding people again to those three people um, or three types of people, you know, that you're recommending, or I should say the last type, is it Instagram and you like send a DM cause you want to talk to them? Is it sending an email, like trying to go to an event and then offering free help? Like what are some ways that people can get tangible advice from someone who's walking the walk? Yeah, it's a great question. And what I can say is that it's a skill that can be learned. In other words, getting access to people that you would never believe you could have access to is doable and is possible. But what I discovered is that most people go about this the completely wrong way. I'll give you an example. So let's say that you're trying to make a decision that's a career change decision. And so you get a book. You know, I don't know what the books are, but you get a book 
that's about that topic. And you read it and you're like, okay, this is great. I love this book. I'm going to reach out to the author and ask my specific question. Like, should I you know, leave here, go there? Should I change my major to go here? And what happens is we come from a place of you owe me, right? Like I read your book, therefore you owe me an answer to my question. <laughs> and instead we need to come from a perspective of service. How can we serve that person first? How can we, uh, how can we be a value to that person first, you know, before we ask, right? So it's like the give, 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 and then ask question. Mm-hmm. And people are human, right? Obvious, but people love to be complimented. Mm-hmm. People love to feel that what they've written, the words they've put together have made an impact or are making an impact in other people's lives. Being aware of those things when you go to approach someone, when you go to ask right, for their opinion or advice, um, instead of saying like, here's what I'm considering doing, what do you think? Instead say, Um, First of all, is there a way that you could serve that person without them knowing, right? Mm -hmm. They're busy people. So don't bombard them and say, hey, I would love to help you do something. What can I help you do? Figure out how you can do something for them. Then go to them and say, hey, I've I've absolutely loved your work, your book. Here are the three things that I've taken away from this. And then what I find authors often love, so I'm using authors as an example. If you can pull something obscure, something that most people don't pick up on in their book, and ask them about that thing, right? So the the media covers all the big headline things in a book, right? When they're on a podcast, the people who interview them on the podcast are always asking the common things over and over again, right? They, Mm -hmm. They answer the same questions over and over again. But if you can pull out something that's unique, something that's very specific in the book and ask them for clarification around that thing, what I've discovered is they're more than happy typically to respond to that. Wow, that's a great, that's a great strategy. I never even thought about that. Though I do know about the the offering help tip. And that's something I found was wildly helpful when I networked is like the more that I like offered help to people, the more willing they were to help me when I needed it. Or like not even, they just like offered to like, they're like, yeah, like I got this thing going. There's this girl. And like, they just like connected the dots before I could even like figure out what I needed or what I was looking for into words. So it's pretty cool how once you kind of switch hats from like sales to like being of service, how things will open and, and opportunities will come like more than you would think that that would actually happen. Yeah, absolutely. And and it is, it's not a short term game, right? It's a long term game. You can't do it thinking, okay, I'm going to be nice to this person today so I can get an answer tomorrow. That's not the way the game works. It is about, like you said, Gabby, it's about service, about serving mm-hmm. them. So one of the things I wanted to kind of pivot, but in the same kind of realm is, um, you know, obviously like you've had an extensive background, right? You've learned a lot of skills along the way, but like, what are some strategies that listeners can implement that will make them either stronger in their strong suits or like stronger, or I should say weaknesses, not so weak, right? Because we all have strengths and weaknesses. And sometimes we notice the strong suits are amazing. And then the weak parts parts are like, I don't want to go near, but like, how do you, how do you deal with that as a business owner too? Yeah. It's a, it's a really tough and challenging question um, for this reason, because we're often so bad at, at really understanding what our strengths and weaknesses are. I'm going to give some clarity around that, but I'm going to, I'm going to jump to a slightly different part of that conversation. (laughs) And it's this, there's a difference between being skilled or really good at something versus your innate talents. 
whatever your innate talents are, for, for a lot of people, we don't know what those things are. Like it, it's kind of this journey to figure out what are my innate talents? What am I truly passionate about? Mm-hmm. Um, if you know what you're passionate about, you should work on that thing, becoming better at that thing. But when it comes to skills, right? So anything that falls in the skill level, you want to make sure that you bring up your weak areas, your weak skills to such a level that they no longer trip you up. So if you're really bad at time management, right? And everything's always slipping off your calendar and you're always late for everything and you can't keep track of you know your appointments and all that stuff, you need to work on that skill until it no longer trips you up. And then the same thing for strengths. I'm a firm believer in strengthening your strengths, right? Getting better at what you're good at. Mm-hmm. But I think oftentimes because we hate our weaknesses so much, you know, they feel unnatural to us. So like if you're bad at time management, it may not feel like you're naturally good at time management. Mm -hmm. And so we try to avoid that thing. But I think it's when we lean into those things, when we lean into the things that need to be brought up to a base level, so to speak, that is where we start seeing momentum. That is where we start noticing the impact in our strengths, in our talents, is when we're no longer hindered, when we're no longer tripped up by the, the quote unquote skills that we're not good at. Yeah, I'm glad that you, you know, kind of explained that a little bit more and 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 highlighted, you know, it sucks having weaknesses. Like no one wants to have weaknesses, but like obviously they're there. We can't be good at everything. But like you give the example of time management. So what if someone they just like people think time management's an organizational thing? Like what if you're just not not naturally organized? Do you like think about hiring help if you're really struggling with it? Is it reading books? Is it like, cause that could be time management. That's something I could work on for the rest of my life and I'll never overcome it. But you know, we would like to overcome it. So yeah, I don't know if there's a question framed in that or like, that's kind of like yeah, yeah. thoughts about. No, I hear you. And I, I think I, I fully understand where you're coming from with that question. Mm-hmm. Here's where I would challenge you, Gabby. So you have bought a belief that Gabby's not good at time management or Gabby is disorganized, or Gabby is whatever that blank is, right? You've bought into that belief. And I would challenge you to go back and figure out where did that belief originate? Where did you begin buying into that notion that that is true about you? Because what I've discovered in my life is often when we when we wear these badges, like, and I'm talking about weaknesses, like mm-hmm. we display our weaknesses, like, oh, well, well, I'm an introvert. So like, I don't like doing those things that becomes a mechanism for excuses for us, right? We give ourselves a pass on those things. And the reality is that you are who you are today based on the stories that you've told yourself repeatedly. Oh yeah. Damn. Default programming, right? At its finest. Well, I mean, it's so true though. (laughs) Um, There's a book out there called Personality Isn't Permanent by, I think it's Benjamin Hardy is the author's name. That book, I mean, it really just, it spoke to me so much because it forces you to say, okay, we are not fixed beings. Like we have the ability to adapt. We have the ability to change. We have the ability to become someone different than we are today, mm-hmm. but it is a choice. Yeah. And we have to confront those stories. Let me give you a personal example. For years, I carried around the story that I'm a terrible leader and I'm terrible at managing people. Well, uh, you know, newsflash, if you're going to run a company and you're going to grow a company, <laughs> you better get better at those two things, right? Like yeah. they're required. So in hindsight, I had to spend time examining, like, where did I get this belief from? Where did I buy into the belief that I wasn't a good manager and I'm not a good leader? 
Well, it actually came from when I started the lawn business. So when I started that lawn and landscape company, I was 22, maybe 23 years old. And I was hiring people that were in their 40s and in their 50s who were seasoned in the industry. And so you can imagine, I was very intimidated, right? Trying to manage these people, trying to lead these people. Mm -hmm. And I was constantly met with frustration. I was constantly met with like, you know, overwhelm trying to figure out how do I lead? How do I manage these people? And so I, there was a seed planted there. There was a seed that says, you're not good at managing people and you're not good at leading. And you know, what's so funny is when we believe those things, even a little tiny bit, when we believe those things, we water them, right? Yeah. And you water the seeds and they continue to grow. And so fast forward to probably six years ago, um, I really began questioning, is this story true? Is it actually true that Wayne is bad at managing and leading, right? Or did I adopt that story from somewhere? And so I would challenge everyone listening to question those things that you believe to be innately true about yourself. Where did, where did you get that belief from? I'm not saying there's not true. I'm just asking you to go back and examine where did you buy into that belief? And B, do you want that belief to remain true going forward? I, I love that you said all that. And the same thing with like mentioning that book about changing your personality because right, people are like, oh, I'm a Gemini, right? I, I have, this is me. And like, that's cool and all. But like, yeah, you can be whoever you want to be. You just have to, you know, put in the work to create that persona or like change the skill set or build on the strengths or whatever it is, develop those weaknesses, make them from, you know, not so weak so that you can become the person you're trying to be. I That's awesome. That's like, I'm going to add that to my reading list. <laughs> a lot of books in this episode to review. <laughs> Absolutely. It's it's one of the, I would say over the last, you know, probably six years or so, that has been the area that I've worked the hardest on in myself. It's asking the question, not who am I, but who do I want to become? Yeah. Yeah. Who do I want to become in the future? Yeah. And it's funny because you say you're an introvert, but I, I would not think that you're an introvert because you're so well-spoken and like, I mean, you came on here and you were like full force. So like, you know, it, it's, it's inspiring too, for the people who are listening, who, again, they're like really shy and don't know how to, to be the person that they want to be, right. Whether it's a business owner, side hustler, or like a top salesman or saleswoman, you know, that if you could do it, they could do it too. So, you know. Yeah, absolutely. And look, I'm, I'm living proof. Trust me, if I can do this stuff, <laughs> anybody can do it. You have to be willing though to step out. You have to be willing to walk through that door. And trust me that there's a very good chance it is a revolving or a swinging door that you can get back to where you are today if you need to. Um, but chances are once you, once you begin down that path, once you get started down that journey, I'm not promising it's going to be easy. I'm not promising that everything's going to go your way. But what I can tell you from my experience is that you will become a better person as a result of stepping through that door. Definitely. Definitely. Couldn't agree more. So um, I like to wrap up all my podcasts with one final question for my guests, which is if you can give advice to your younger self, what would that be? Yeah, I think I think I just answered that with that last little bit. My <laughs> well, you know, box, I want to see if is, there's like something more to it. Yeah, ask. it's I think I would tell myself very early on, you know, um, don't buy the myth of who you are. Instead, decide who you want to be and work every single day to become that person. Yeah. Awesome. Awesome way to live by. Well, this has been so awesome. I think everyone who's listening is going to great like grab so many gold nuggets from this myself included. So thank you so much for being on here and being, you know, the person to kind of like walk us through your whole journey and, and, you know, share your successes and stuff. 
Yeah, absolutely, Gabby. I've enjoyed our conversation. And if I could leave everyone with just one final thought, it would be this, that consistency creates miracles. Consistency creates miracles. So when we look at other people's stories and when we look at their lives, um, we often think that transitions like magically take place overnight. Mm -hmm. But the reality is my story is proof of this, that it's the consistency that over time will create the miracles in our lives. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. That's an awesome nugget to like leave people off. So we'll leave it at that. But Wayne, thanks again for being on. This has been awesome. Thank you so much, Gabby. 